Thanks for standing for the reading of God's word. This morning we're in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. It says, starting in verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And another, he said, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, thanks for the morning. Thanks for bringing us here, God. We're asking that you'd be gracious to us to help us pay attention to your word, God. That you would open our hearts and do a work, a good work, God, in our hearts to draw us closer to you, God. We came in with needs and wants and desires all over the place this morning, God. Would you help us to see your word as supreme, God, and do the work in us that only you can do. We're asking, God, that you would just work by your spirit through your word. We commit our morning to you, God, and we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to have a seat. Well, you made it. Awesome. Thanks for being here this morning. How do you guys, how do you feel about the snow? Oh, boo birds. I'm a snowbird. I love it. I, yep, yep. We know. I love it. Uh, you know, but it, it is, uh, it is shocking. You know, I looked outside yesterday and I'm like, it's happening. It's like a Christmas miracle. Except it wasn't Christmas. Well, thanks for being here this morning. You're troopers. Appreciate you being here. My name is Andy. I'm the counseling pastor here. Um, and it is just a great joy to be able to share God's word with you this morning. I always feel privileged to be able to share God's word. It's, it's not something that I do often. I mean, I, I guess I do it often, but not every Sunday. So when I get a chance to share it, um, I certainly do feel blessed. Um, so thanks for being here on this Spring Forward Sunday, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll get right to it. You know, we're continuing in our, in our sermon series, Road to Easter, and we're, we're streaming towards Easter morning. That's where we're heading, heading towards Easter morning. And so I hope that the series has been a blessing to you. I know that I've been blessed by it. I've, I've loved the messages. I've taken a ton of notes. Um, and so I hope that, uh, that today will be a continuance of just the great blessings probably that you've had um, by sitting in on this series and, and hearing the word preached. The title of this morning's message is Counting the Cost. Real creative, right? Counting the Cost. You know what's really important in life? A couple, I mean, there's a lot of things that are important, right? But a couple of things that are really important, consideration and follow-through. Consideration and follow-through. And there are, there are a thousand things to think about and consider every day. A myriad of things. 
considering and evaluating. You know, what does it mean to consider something? Strange way to think about it. What is consideration? Well, it's when you give particular careful thought to an issue or event that's going on in your life. And the Bible is not silent about the importance of the things that we should consider. The Bible is not silent about most things that we should consider. We are counting the cost and making judgment calls all the time. We are rolling decisions in our mind. We're thinking about the circumstances of our life. We are constantly evaluating circumstances and counting costs. Here's what the Bible says. Psalm 8.3. When I, here's our word, consider. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you have ordained. Pretty incredible. Or how about Psalm 107.43? 107.43. Who's wise, let him give heed to these things. And consider Think about careful, particular thought, the loving kindness of the Lord. That's good to remember. That's a good one to remember. Or how about what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12? He says, consider the ravens. Strange. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God does what? Feeds them. Right? Consideration. Considerations are part of this life. Strange way to think about it. Strange way to think about thinking, but thinking and considerations are part of this life, and we're all faced with things to consider all the time. Every minute of every day, all the time, we are considering and constantly weighing our options and the circumstances and the outcomes And what could be, what should we do, what can I do? We are considering thoughts and things continually and reasoning all the time. That's what our brains do. That's the way God made us. You know, by some accounts, we're estimated to have, this is shocking, 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. I don't know how they calculated it. Someone's got to think about it. 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Now, I'm not good at math, and I'll talk about that more here in a minute. But that works out to around 2,500 or 3,000 thoughts an hour. Say, that's a lot. You can say it. That's a lot. That's, that's astounding. And 90% of those thoughts are repetitive So you can see how the word of God is essential in your life, right? Is that not true? I mean, is there anything better to give your concentration to than the word of God? We even have entire psychological disciplines and therapies dedicated to our thinking. We call that cognitive restructuring. Thinking restructuring. We have entire disciplines dedicated to that. We are on a repetitive treadmill of thoughts and thinking minute by minute, hour by hour, because thinking and considering is important. And the Bible says we should take it seriously. Don't take my word for it, 2 Corinthians 10.5. 2 Corinthians 10.5. 
take every thought captive to obey Christ. How many thoughts? Every thought. What? To obey who? Jesus? Say, that's work, amen? That's work. But this is our life. We are called to take every thought captive. How many thoughts? Every. Who? Make them count. Make them obey Christ. Sounds important. It's incredibly important. And so when I think about the verses that we're looking at today, and I think about these men's comments about about Jesus, you know, two say that they're going to follow him, and Jesus initiates a conversation with the second guy. And, And I think about their responses as I've thought about it and prepared for today. I know it's a strange word. It's a strange word, but there's only one word that kept coming to my mind as I considered it, and that's fickle. Isn't that a wild word? Fickle. What does fickle mean? Well, it means that you change frequently, especially in regards to a person's loyalties and interests or affection. And I'm like, nailed it. They're fickle. They were around and they interacted with Jesus, but look, their responses indicated that they hadn't fully considered They hadn't really counted the cost of who they were dealing with. Because when you deal with Jesus, that's serious business. Amen? He's serious. And they hadn't fully considered the seriousness of the person that they were dealing with and what it really means to follow. And that's important. They hadn't counted the cost. They hadn't counted the cost. And so the examples in Luke 9 are good reminders for us. They're supposed to be a help to us, that we, we take notice of considering Jesus and what it really means to count the cost, because following him isn't easy. There are things involved. And these men, they thought they could just saunter up to Jesus and have conversations with him and pledge their loyalty. But these are, these are superficial claims about following him. That's the whole point. They weren't honest. They hadn't really considered who they were dealing with. And you know, John Piper makes this comment about these verses. He says, this is a test. This is a test. This is a test to see if Jesus was their greatest treasure. And I'm like, yes and amen. And that's the way it should be for us. These are tests to see whether or not we've really counted the cost, whether or not we really have considered what it means to follow him. Because when you treasure Jesus and make him the most important thing in your life, it will always be reflected in the choices that you make and the action that you take. When you you treasure Jesus and you make him the most important thing, it's always reflected in what you do and how you do it, the action that you take. And so the big question is, have you considered the cost? Have you considered the cost? Have you really considered the cost? And I know that there are things in my life that I have not always counted the cost. I have not always considered like I should. I told you I would get back to math. Here's my story. I'm not proud to say that math and I are not great friends. We are not great friends. We never have been great friends. 
Although math has tried to make friends with me at times in my life, I've repelled it. I have. I'm a math repeller. When I was in high school, I never took an algebra class. <gasps> oh, see, I knew somebody would gasp. <sighs> never took algebra. I never took algebra. And what happened was I got called out on it. My guidance counselor, he calls me in and he says, um, hey, Andy, I, um, like, you've never taken an algebra class. Do you plan on moving on? <laughs> and I said, I do. Um, I can't really explain it. And he's like, you have no explanation. And I said, I played football. That's probably my explanation. He's like, yeah, that's not going to cut it. Um, what are we going to do? He said, well, we're going to figure it out. And I'm happy to tell you that I did complete a math class in college or in high school. And where the train really leaves the tracks is that in my infinite wisdom, when I decided to go on to college, they asked me if I wanted to, de to declare a major. And my dad was a science teacher, and I thought somehow I got like a science gene was passed on to me and that I would have like this ability to like do science and understand like math through osmosis, I guess. And I was taking every math class under the sun. Like I'm in over my skis on this thing. This is, it's not going well. And my advisor called me and he's like, hey, Andy, um, it's not going well. I think I wept. I'm like, oh, that's, that's terrible. He's like, well, I, here's what I think. I think you'll probably be in some kind of tutoring or summer classes until you're 65. <laughs> and I said, that's, uh, Roland, that's not going to happen. So my decision my decision, I hadn't counted the cost. I, I didn't consider everything that would go into it. You see, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm not a full considerer, right? I'm a sinner that way. And my solution was I'll change majors. And I see Max, my professor, at the back of the auditorium, and I walked up and I'm like, hey, Max, I'm changing my major. Um, I don't know that you can do that. I'm like, you can make it happen. I just have a question. How many math classes are in this major? He said, one. I'm like, I'm in. And I'm here to tell you that I thoroughly enjoyed that statistics class twice. <laughs> because I really knew the material. You see, we're not careful considerers. But the Bible calls for us to be. And I hadn't counted the cost. And that's the whole point. So back to our text. We have these three men who are interacting with Jesus, and their, their responses indicate that they, they haven't fully considered him. And they failed to count the cost. And their responses, they don't reflect the fact that they're, they're, that they're all in with him. And that's what following Jesus really means. It means being all in because following Jesus is serious business. And I'm here to tell you this morning, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is the most important decision you will evaluate in your life. Every other decision falls underneath that. It is, he is the most important thing to consider ever. And when you consider him, you're considering your eternal soul. 
So this morning, I just want to walk through three considerations about counting the cost from Luke chapter 9. And the first one is this. You must count the cost of your comfort. You have to count the cost of your comfort. And as they were going along the road, verse 57, someone said to him, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, foxes have holes and birds have uh, nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, this seems like a strange way to respond to someone that's just run up to you and pledged their loyalty. Does it not? Why does Jesus respond this way? And I say, well, it's because he's the best heart discerner there is. He knows exactly what's going on in this guy's heart, and he knows that he doesn't mean it. And you can get even more information when you, when you flip over to Matthew 8. It gives a little more information that helps with this, this question about what is going on here. And here's what Matthew says um, in 8.18. It says, and when Jesus saw a crowd, oh, so there's a crowd now. There's, there's a crowd. He's, he's in this crowd, and they're on this way with Jesus to Jerusalem And verse 19 says, well, a scribe came up to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus launches into his response, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But just a couple of things here. It is significant that we're talking about a scribe. We're talking about a scribe. This guy's no religious lightweight. He's a learned man. He's a man who who has made it his business to study Hebrew law. His life is study, interpretation, and interpretation of the law. And they were notorious in the New Testament for spelling out the law to other people and not following it themselves. They made sure everybody else understood the letter of the law, but they failed to follow it themselves. Matthew 23, 2 says this. Jesus says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat so to practice and observe. So practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. Not what they do, for they preach, but they don't practice. And they tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear. And they lay them on on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to move them with a finger. They won't even lift a finger. And these scribes, they had a reputation. And that's what makes this such a curious and powerful thing. A scribe, this religious man runs up to Jesus and pledges his loyalty. And we know from the text, Matthew 8, that he says, teacher, teacher, I'll follow wherever you go. Didaskalos, rabbi, master, in other words, I want to be under your teaching and I want, to be, I want to be your student. I want to be under you. I want to be your student. And so it's a curious thing that this, this man, this scribe, that would usually have a real problem. He would usually have a real problem with Jesus. And be at odds with him would make such a stunning statement. Because these were hard guys. These were hard religious men. And not very gracious, I might add. And so he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Whatever you want to do, that's that's what I'm in for. I'll follow you. 
And that word for follow in our text is used three times in five verses. I'll go wherever you go. And it gives the impression that he's totally committed and that he's a real follower. But that word for follow has a specific meaning. It means disciple. It means disciple. But being a follower of Jesus isn't just, look, being a follower of Jesus isn't just some emotional moment. It's not an emotional moment. Jesus, he never asked people to just make emotional commitments. He always asked people to make heart commitments. Not just emotional commitments, not superficial commitments. We're called to consider for real and count the cost of really following him. That's more than a superficial commitment. That's more than just a superficial decision. It's a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. It's lifelong dependence on him. And that means something. That means real change. When Jesus steps into your life, real change comes. And that's what he lacked. In essence, he lacked total dependence on Jesus. He wanted to add following Jesus to a long list of religious accomplishments. I'll just add in a little Jesus here along with my other accolades. That's not the way this relationship works. That's not the way this relationship works. Jesus is not just an add-on to your life. He's not something that you just tack in. He's not something that you would say, well, you know, I've got all these other things that I'm really committed to, and, you know, I'll go wherever you go. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Look how religious I am. Look at what I do. Look at my education. Look at all my education. Look at all the power and prestige. I'm just so satisfied with me right now. I'm just, you know what? I'm just so comfortable right where I am. That's not a relationship with Jesus. That's not what he calls us to evaluate. He calls us to evaluate what really following him looks like and what the cost really is. And there are comfort things involved. Considering Jesus and following him doesn't mean comfort, it means obedience. That's what it means. Jesus says, do this, we do it. Jesus says, do this, we say, we say, yes, Lord. And we're totally dependent on him for everything. Because this is true. If you aren't depending on him, chances are you're depending on you. If you're not depending on him, you're depending on you. That's not how this relationship with Jesus goes. Because considering and counting the cost means that Jesus reserves the right to change the circumstances of our lives anytime he wants to. He says, go. We say, where are we going, Lord? And we mean it. Trusting in him always means giving up control and our comfort and just looking continually to him. 
That's what we have to evaluate. If you want your comfort more than to follow Jesus, that's sinful. If you want your comfort more than following him, really following him, that's sinful. So you have to inspect what you're clinging to for your comfort that's other than Christ. This is where the rubber meets the road. What is it? Is it your job? Is it your job? Is it your education? Is it your religiosity? Is it your good works? I know it's not popular. I, um, I know it's not popular, but comforts can become idols easily. And counting the cost of following Jesus means that he reserves the right to say to you, no more idols. No more. Because following him means, I, you know what? I'm dropping everything I got to do right now. You say follow, I'm in. That's the cost that we count. And you know, it may seem like a strange analogy, but when I meet with couples for premarital counseling, I ask this question of my daughter. I ask this question of most people that I do premarital counseling with, and here's what it is. What do you do when you don't feel in five years like you feel right now? What do you do? Uh, I'm hoping that won't happen. I'm like, oh, well, you have to ask yourself, what really is the glue that holds you together? Because change, com change is coming in a lot of ways. Bills, schedules, morning breath, medical issues, I hope not. Whatever, whatever, whatever is going to happen is going to happen that way. Because life is full of change. What holds you together? Christ. It's Jesus Christ that holds you together. How do you get through when you don't feel five years from now that if you feel right now? Five years ago, or five years in the future than you feel right now. Well, it's, it's Christ. And Christ in your relationship. And having him be the most important thing. And Dave Harvey in his book, When Sinners Say I Do, says this about marriage. He says, this marriage is not first about me or my spouse or my comfort. Obviously, the man and the woman are essential, but they are secondary. They're secondary because God is, is the most important person in a marriage. And marriage is for our good, but first is for God's glory. And you know what? That's a great principle that stands for everything in this life. What is life really all about? God's glory. It's about God's glory. Following Jesus isn't just cutting and pasting him into your life so that you can say you're a follower, but not have your life altered in any way whatsoever, and you keep your comforts. Because trusting Christ and following him is a committed life with him, with him at the front and center of everything. John 6, 67 and 68, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, well, do you want to go away too? And Peter looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? Where else would we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. That's Jesus at the center of everything. 
It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you and your glory. And to be a true follower of Jesus is to say, you know what? I'm all in. I'm, I'm just, I'm all in. Lord, do with me whatever you want. Use me however you want. All I want to do is be used by you. And I've counted the cost. I've considered it. And Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And you know that word for deny, that in the Greek, that's an interesting word. And it means, it means to disregard your own interest. That's what it means. Deny yourself. Disregard your own interest. That's it. That's what Jesus calls us to do. That's the consideration this morning. That's how we count the cost. And that means to give up all of our rights. When Jesus steps into your life, he says, you have no more rights. You have no more rights. Matter of fact, I get to tell you everything about your life. That's counting the cost, making him the center of our lives. And consideration number two. Look, you have to count the cost of making him the priority. You have to. To another, he said, follow me. That's interesting. Jesus initiates the conversation. Follow me. But Lord, he said, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, those verses are a little disturbing at first glance. But let me be clear. Jesus is not saying that you should that you shouldn't attend funerals. <laughs> okay? He's not saying that. And he's not giving you free license to be disrespectful to your family. But he does say that you should follow me. Because he knows the truth about people. He's the perfect discerner. He knows the truth about people what's really going on in their heart. And he knows what's going on in your heart. He knows exactly whether or not you've counted the cost. He knows exactly whether or not you're really considering him. He knows everything about you. And it is interesting that Jesus is the initiator. And he commands this man to follow. And this is, this is the same word, follow. As you see in 57 and verses 61, it's, it's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 4.19 when he calls Peter and Andrew. And the text says, and they were casting a net into the sea because they were fishing. And Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And that word means whatever you're doing, whatever you're involved in, drop it right now. Not later, right now. And what did they do? They followed. Or Matthew 9, 9, the text says, Jesus saw Matthew. He's sitting in a tax collector's booth, and he said, he said to him, follow me. And what did Matthew do? He gets up, and he follows. It's the same word in Matthew 10. He who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross up and follow me 
is not worthy of me. They're the same word. Follow, drop whatever you're doing right now. Count the cost. Consider me. Follow me. But you know what happens in this life? And you know that this is true. Distractions. A million of them. This snow was a distraction. And that distraction probably for some people started last night. And it was like, oh my gosh, it's snowing. I I don't know if I can go to church tomorrow. Right? These distractions work themselves out in our considerations all the time. But there's a ton of them. And at first glance, this appears to be a big one. Burying people and funerals. But, you know, MacArthur believes that this guy's father wasn't even dead. He, uh, the Jews had a tradition of burying their deceased family members immediately. And it was a common saying to say, hey, uh, can you wait till I get my inheritance? Like buying time. We would say, um, can you give me a minute? Can I have a few minutes to think about that? Could we talk about that later? I'm not sure that's good for me right now. I need to fill in the blank, whatever that blank is, whatever you say, whatever the put off is, whatever the dodge is. I, um, that sounds great. Um, I need to, I, you know what, I need to check my schedule and get back with you. And following Jesus and making him the number one, it pushes out what you've really been holding on to as a priority. That's what happens. So the question is, what do you hold on to as a selfish priority that Jesus is calling you to evaluate and consider and give up and follow him? What is it? What is it that you have to count the cost of? Is it, is it money? That would be common. Is it power? Is it religion? Is it work? Is it family? Um, it, you know what? I would love to commit more to you, Jesus, but honestly, as a family, oh, we just have so many things going on right now. Like, you have no idea what our schedule is. We've got this, and we've got that, and, you know, we, we're handling this over here, and what is it that Jesus is asking you to evaluate that he calls you to count the cost of him? What is it about your selfish priorities? Because, you know, your selfish priorities and Jesus as the number one person in your life, they do not coexist well. James 4.17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and, and fails to do it, for him it's sin. And so following means considering and obeying him in everything. And following means putting him as the number one priority. You remember? You remember the rich young ruler? You remember that guy? The rich young ruler? Matthew 19, this rich young guy comes up to Jesus. He, he walks up and he poses this question. And he says, hey, uh, what must I do to be good? And Jesus says, why are you asking about what's good? There's only one that's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Don't murder and commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Oh, honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor. And he's like, I've done all that. 
I've done that. And Jesus says, well, then sell everything you have. Sell all of your possessions and follow me. You remember what his response was? He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He was more concerned about his wealth and his possessions, and his priorities were completely wrong, and Jesus knew it. And it's possible this morning that someone here is considering following Jesus, but what you've done is you've heard that I've said, drop everything right now and consider him and follow him. That's a command from Jesus, follow me. And that negotiation started right then, and you said, yeah, but, like, you're not talking right now, are you? Can I have my people get a hold of your people and we work this out? That negotiation started. You started working the terms. But when you're following Jesus, all priorities, every priority that you have sits underneath him because he reorganizes your priorities and your life. Psalm 37, 4, 5 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And commit your way to the Lord, and trust him, and he will act. And he'll bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. When you consider him, and you consider following him, really following him, you delight yourself in him when you follow him. And your desires and your priorities align with his desires and his priorities become your priorities and it is wonderful. Wonderful. You want to have real joy? Delight yourself in the Lord. Consider him and follow him. Consideration number three, you have to count the cost of your relationships. You have to count the cost of your relationships. And yet another said, another guy comes up to Jesus, and he says, I'll follow you, but first let me say farewell to those at my house. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, does that seem like a reasonable request? Kind of. Like, follow me. Mm. I, in, I will. Uh, but let me take care of a few things at home first, right? This guy, he initiates a conversation with Jesus, and he says, I'll follow you, but let me go home first. And, you know, there's a million distractions in this life, and there are a ton of things that pull and tug at our affections. And again, Jesus, being the perfect discerner of hearts, understand what is really going on. Do you think if Jesus granted this guy's request that he's going to come back? Do you really believe that he's going to come? Uh, you know what? I'll be back. Yeah. Um, do you think? I don't think. Because I think the whole issue was that he couldn't break ties with his family. He couldn't break ties with his family. If Jesus had granted his request to go back home, he wouldn't be back. It's highly doubtful. And Jesus knew it. And if he did, would he always be wondering what I left behind? 
Would he always be wondering what I left behind? This is a hard issue of massive proportions because it's at the center of following Jesus. Moving forward and trusting him is the center of following him. Our allegiance to him and our trust in him is built on the fact that we're all in. We've considered the cost. We're, we're, we've considered. We're counting the cost. We're, we're just following him straightly. Because he failed to really consider what it really means to follow Jesus, he was divided in his affections and he was distracted in his allegiance. And that's the truth. And in Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. So are you telling me, Andy, that we're called to hate our family? That is not going to happen. I'm like, no, that would be inconsistent with with what Jesus says when we're called to love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. No, but here's what it does mean. It means that we're called to have love for Jesus that surpasses our love for everyone and everything else. Have love for Jesus that surpasses our love for others and the stuff in our life, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And look, when your vertical relationship with Jesus is where it needs to be, then the other relationships in your life take their proper place. And the right perspective, what it means to follow Jesus and count the cost, is not looking back. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you, look, let me put it this way. You can't make a straight row and genuinely follow Jesus by looking back all the time. And I used to bale some hay. And when I would be on that hay rack, that farmer, he's driving and he's looking back. And I'm telling you, I'm getting the snot beat out of me on that hay rack. Because there's course corrections. He's concerned about what's going on back here. And that's the whole point. Considering him, counting the cost, means we are moving straight forward in our relationship with Jesus, and we're not looking back. It's not that we don't care about people. It's that we are singularly focused on following you, Jesus. It's a straight line in my life. You can't move straight forward if you're looking back with divided attention and allegiance. And so following him means that we're all in. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking, singularly focused, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So here's where we're at. Have you really considered him? Have you really considered him? Have you... Have you counted the cost of following him? Because he wants you to follow him, but you can't follow that that person that you don't know. You can't follow who you don't know. And so his command to follow is to believe in him and follow him with your life. 
Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And isn't it just time to do away with excuses and distractions? Looking back all the time, the swervy road of life, and just be straight on towards Jesus. God's word says that when you admit that you're a sinner, And you understand that you can't do enough good works to save yourself, but you're saved when you believe in Jesus by faith. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, not by your works, but that when you believe in him by faith, he will will save you because he's gracious, not because you're good, but it's his gift. And it's a wonderful gift. And if you don't know him, if if you've heard follow but you're tired of the negotiations. It's time to stop the negotiations and, and consider him and count the cost and follow him. You could do that today. I'd love to talk to you about that after the service. You could do it when we pray. You could do it at any time. But if that's you and you want to talk about that, I would love to talk to you about that. And believer, aren't you grateful for God's grace? Aren't you grateful for God's grace to save you and to work in your life, and for him to help you to continually keep the straight line. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that he helps you stay the course? And that in a sense, he helps you uh, to move in that straight line by just not looking back all the time, but just trusting him about what's happening in the future. Isn't that awesome? By God's grace, by God's grace, we'll continue to do that. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks for the morning. Thanks for the day. Thanks for our time together. And uh, the word that you've given us, Lord. We're asking that you'd help us to continue in a straight line, God. If we know you, help us to continue moving straight forward towards you, God, trusting you. And God, if there's someone here that has not considered you, that has not yet followed you, we're praying, God, that today would be that day. Thanks, God, for the, thanks, God, for the morning we've had. We're praying that you'd bless the rest of our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.